You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here in DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back into another edition of the Arrowhead Pride interview series. I'm Steven Serta. I'm very happy to be joined by John Shipley. John is the Jags beat reporter for Jaguars Report. You follow John on Twitter at underscore John underscore Shipley. You can find all of his fantastic work at si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars. John, we got a pretty, uh, pretty big week two matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, man, it's like rare for week two games in the NFL to feel big just because, you know, it's not college. You could lose a couple games and still, you know, go on to win a championship and it's a long season. But this feels like a playoff like type, you know, atmosphere, playoff type feel of the game. So it's a big one. I wanted to ask you about that, actually, because, you know, this is a Jacksonville team that is ascending right now that has, in my opinion, a legitimate superstar quarterback in Trevor Lawrence and a great head coach in Doug Peterson. And, you know, and they're, they're building the roster and adding talent the last couple of years now. And this is kind of the season that everybody's been looking towards. Like it's time for Trevor to show that he belongs in that upper echelon of NFL quarterbacks and for the Jags to kind of announce themselves. And this is a Jaguars team that lost to the chiefs twice last year, uh, once in the regular season, once in the playoffs. So like, just kind of the vibe that you have from the team as well as like Jacksonville fans. Like, is this, is everybody hyping this game up? Cause it kind of seems like the chiefs get this from everywhere, but that's what happens when you win Super Bowls. Yeah. And that's funny. That's actually what Doug Peterson, like said, almost worked for the other day is like, he was in that position with the Eagles. Like when you're the champions, everybody's going to come at you as like, okay, this is their big game. And I, I do think, you know, the vibe around the Jaguars is that, you know, while it is week two and that's a long season, this is a benchmark game, you know, like see how far you've come, you know, since last season, but it wasn't even that long ago that, you know, they faced the chiefs. Obviously it was in, you know, January, whenever, but it was 
two games removed from the last time they took the field. So it's still, you know, the sting of that loss is still, you know, pretty fresh with them. That much seems obvious. Uh, And it seems like, you know, they really see that, you know, while it is a long season, this is a game that, you know, you can kind of announce yourself to the rest of the league as a team that's not just on the rise, but a team that's arguably, you know, is ready to arrive. And I think some of that, you know, Jacksonville, the way they started last year, kind of struggling and then went on this run at the end of the season, looking like, okay, this team is for real. And they have that huge come from behind win against the Chargers. And then, you know, they take on the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes winds up getting injured, leaves that game. Chad Henney comes in and the Chiefs are able to kind of hold it off and still come out with the playoff victory. But that's not the same team this season. And we got a glimpse of it in their 31 to 21 win over the Indianapolis Colts in week one. But Calvin Ridley is looked like all of the hype uh, from the preseason and training camp and stuff. It all looked real in week one. He looks like a legitimate number one wide receiver, one-on-one matchup nightmare. And I'm just excited to see him, him get back on the field uh, because he's that kind of player that you just love to watch. But yeah, what was your takeaway from week one in the performance that Calvin Ridley put out there against the Colts? Yeah, absolutely. I think, the last time I personally, you know, hyped a player and his performance in camp as much as Calvin Ridley, uh, LaVisca should not caught one touchdown in the season. So <laughs> I was definitely had some invested in, you know, Ridley kind of looking like people expected in week one. And I thought they just clearly showed, you know, the NFL, what they're going to do with Ridley is there's no question of, you know, who's going to be their alpha receiver with it's him. If it's Kirk, who's going to be number one target that it's going to be Ridley. You know, he's somebody who for the first two years of Trevor Lawrence's career, you know, the big, knock on the Jaguars offense was they didn't have a downfield threat. You know, they had, again, LaVisca Chenault, Laquan Treadwell, Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, all as their his best downfield options in two years. And with Ridley, he has somebody who he can just find deep at, you know, really seemingly any point he can win those isolated one-on-ones thanks to his route running, thanks to his ability to, you know, contest the catches, which he showed off against the Colts. I thought it was as good of a debut as you could really hope for. And honestly, it still felt like it could have been more. They kind of went away from him, you know, in the second half. And most of, I think almost all but two, maybe three of his targets came in the first half of that game. So they really showed that the passing game can, and you know, really flow through him. And Lawrence already has chemistry with him. That's pretty undeniable. Yeah, I want to say he had like 101 yards at halftime in week one and then finished the game with 108. So it seems like. Seems like that needs to change in week two, but he looks like an absolute superstar player. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I haven't seen him on the football field in a while, but I was like, Calvin really looks bigger than I remember him looking. And maybe it was just because he was always alongside Julio Jones, but he just looks like a bigger wide receiver than the last time we saw him with the Falcons. No, he 100% does. And that's the big thing. I think a lot of people's question with him was, you know, what kind of football shape he'd be in when he got back. But I think it's important to remember, like, he wasn't out because of injury-related reasons or anything to do with skill or anything like that. I know he obviously had a foot injury in his last season with the Falcons, but it really gave him, you know, about a year and a half to recover from that and come back. And, you know, he said this year that he was in, he thought, the best shape of his career. So he really, how he looked in week one was how he looked throughout training camp. You know, just a guy who you put him one-on-one against a cornerback on the boundary, and he's a tough matchup, you know, really for anybody. Yeah, I think he is going to be that number one matchup to watch for the Chiefs defense going against this Jacksonville offense but I want to stick with the wide receiver room for a minute and 
I think something that was kind of an interesting development in week one, and you know, you can only take so many things away from week one because these usage rates and the way they deploy these guys is going to be totally different by the end of the season. But Christian Kirk was really not on the field a lot for the Jags in week one. And, you know, he's a guy that's throughout his entire career has been a predominantly slot wide receiver, but had a career year last year in Jacksonville and really gave the Chiefs a lot of problems when they played uh, last year. Um, But he just seemed like he was kind of taking a backseat to Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones in week one. Is that something that you saw throughout training camp or is that just kind of a a circumstance from uh, that matchup with the Colts? I mean, it it did feel like, you know, at least once training camp got going, especially after the first preseason game, especially after the final preseason game against the Dolphins, that Ridley had established himself as the number one. And then Kirk would obviously be a part of the passing attack after. But, I mean, week one against the Colts was a good example of sometimes, you know, those targets after Ridley are just going to be hard to come by. Travis Etienne got five. Evan Ingram got five, I believe. Zay Jones got seven and Kirk just got three. And that's, you know, among the lowest targets he's seen in the Jaguars uniform. And I think the thing to me that makes me think that is maybe, you know, potentially a season long trend is he only played about 60% of the snaps, you know, when they're in a 12, 13 personnel, he's not on the field like he was last year. And then when he's trying to get slot snaps, he's still fighting with Evan Ingram for those snaps, for those targets. So I, I think it's definitely become, you know, more, of a reality than it is a trend that he's not really the focal point of the passing attack anymore. It's not a bad position to be in for Jacksonville, just having too many playmakers and not necessarily enough targets. And you mentioned Travis Etienne, and I think that was something that also really stood out to me in week one in their offensive performance was – uh, you know, in the preseason, we we kept hearing about Tank Bigsby, and I, I hate diving into the fantasy football stuff, despite the fact that I love fantasy football and I play a ton of it. Like a lot of it's just projection and hope uh, with, with no insight into the actual team. Like Travis Etienne's a very, very talented player, and he looked like he is the clear cut number one running back in week one. But I think what was most impressive was that he had five targets, and I, I believe that's the most targets he's ever had in an NFL game which like that was his thing coming out of college was he is this dynamic pass catching running back and he hadn't really had an opportunity to showcase that. And that's something that if I'm the chiefs, I'm a little bit worried about that because if they can deploy Travis Etienne that way with the, with this group of pass catchers, that's kind of scary uh, considering what Trevor Lawrence can do. If he can just spread the ball all over the field to all these guys who can make big impact plays. Yeah. I think if you go back and watch his touchdown from week one, that, you know, it was a go, basically the final nail in the coffin for the Colts. It kind of showed what kind of player he is. You know, the design run play, he hit the hole. It's completely stuffed. He bounces it outside and outruns several good angles from Colts defenders. He's just so explosive that any way they can get the ball in his hands, he's a potential big play waiting to happen because the way that he can erase angles in the secondary and at the second level, you know, it's just a different element than the other players that they have on their roster. Even Calvin Ridley, you know, Calvin Ridley's, you know, a different type of athlete, different type of player. ETN is their, you know, really home run hitter. And it seemed, at least in week one, you know, that they trust him to really carry the load. Tank Bigsby will have his, you know, series. I think he played one full series one time, otherwise came in on some rotational snaps, had some short yardage situations, had a, you know, a one-yard touchdown after a four-yard run to get to the one. So he's going to get his snaps. But to me, it's clear, that, like you say, it's ETN's backfield. And 
I think this could be a big ETN week. You know, he played well against the Chiefs, you know, in the playoffs. He was a big part of the reason why the game was so close. And while the Jaguars are having, you know, some injury issues on the offensive line, I think ETN, you know, whether it's as a pass catcher on the ground, could be a big part of their attack this week. Before we move to the defensive side of the ball, um, I have to bring this up because it's been such a, a big talking point this week ahead of this game. And it was a really big talking point. Uh, uh, in week one against the Detroit Lions, but that's new Chiefs tackle Jawan Taylor, former yep. Jaguars tackle Jawan Taylor, and his quick first step. And it's like, is it a false start? Or is he lining up across the line of scrimmage? And I, I mentioned this on our post game show, and I followed your work for a long time. I think you do spectacular work covering the Jaguars, but like, this is something he's been doing for years. Yeah. And Doug Peterson mentioned it and was like, yeah, I'm sure the officials have been notified about that earlier this week. And it's like, Doug knows exactly what he's doing. Like, he was fine with it last year when it wasn't getting called. And, you know, the Chiefs are kind of a different beast because they're they're playing at noon on Sunday here in Kansas City at, or in Jacksonville. And, you know, they only, they only have two noon games all season. Like, they are predominantly a primetime team. And, you know, you win multiple Super Bowls. That's the kind of schedule you get. So Juwan Taylor's kind of on this bigger stage now where people are just noticing this, but you've pointed out several times that he's been doing this his entire career and getting away with it. Yeah, I mean, if you go back, there's a mic'd up video that the Seahawks did in 2021. It was like week seven or week eight. The Jaguars, like, they got destroyed in Seattle, but there's a part in it where Pete Carroll just, you know, completely unloads on a ref about, you know, the right tackle jumping too early. And, you know, Juwan, even last year, you know, in the playoffs, Joey Bosa, one of the pivotal points in the game is, you know, really him freaking out about Juwan Taylor's false start, getting a 15-yard penalty. So it's something, like you said, he's been doing, you know, for years. I think a big thing is people, like you said, noticed it a lot on Thursday Night Football, you know, First game of the year, Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody in the country wants to watch Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, it stands out. He's not the only offensive tackle in the NFL that does it. I think you find a ton of examples of the guys that do it. But I, I will say, to me, just as a pure football observer, one of the best you know first steps and anticipators in the football. And like you said, Doug Peterson, he knows what he's doing. They loved it, you know, when they when they did it last year. And it'll be interesting this year because a big part of him doing it, he has said in the past, is you know, knowing the cadence and being comfortable with the quarterback. And when he did it in Jacksonville, obviously, you know, they were at home, not much crowd noise on offense. I'm interested to see, you know, how it is with some more noise. Yeah, I think – and in the preseason, you could actually tell when uh, it was preseason game number two, the Chiefs started uh, Shane Bouchelle, like, or they gave him time with the starters just because, like, he had deserved it during training camp. And you could tell Jawan Taylor was thrown off by Shane Bouchelle as opposed to Patrick Mahomes and like yeah. the cadence of the snap. Like there was a couple of whiffs there and you could tell that was exactly what was going on. Uh, but moving over the defensive side of the ball, you know, Travis Kelsey is going to be one of the biggest talking points ahead of this game until they confirm that he is in fact playing. Seems like he's trending in the right direction. And while Travis Kelsey has success against most NFL defenses, he did put together two really strong performances against the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. Uh, but just based off of, you know, the additions that they've made this offseason and the way their defense is kind of coming into form, like if Travis Kelsey does go, obviously that's a big boost for the defense. But if or if he doesn't go, it's a big boost for the defense. But if he does go, obviously matchup nightmare. Just how do you think that's going to affect things and how can they try to slow him down compared to their matchups against him last season? 
Yeah, I mean, you look at him last season, two contests against the Jaguars. He was targeted 24 times. I mean, 17 times in the divisional round alone. Like, 17 targets is a crazy amount for a tight end. And, yeah, I think he was at 88 yards in the divisional round. So, it wasn't like he was hitting it for big explosives. But he, what he showed he can do and what Mike Caldwell, the Jags defense coordinator, talked about today is kind of, it's kind of like – death by a thousand paper cuts you know he just he's able to find you know those that ability to settle down in zones and get open at the last second and just convert first downs keep chains moving where you know you might not think of like an eight or nine or a 10 yard gain as a big deal in the moment but he continues to stack them up and stack them up and just continues to get open i'm not really sure how the jaguars defend him you know i mean De- Devin lloyd hasn't still still hasn't proven in the nfl yet that he's a guy who can really hang with a tight end the caliber of kelsey obviously not any linebacker in the NFL can really say that, but Lloyd especially kind of had a target on his back against the Chiefs last year. You know, Andy Reid kind of has that Kyle Shanahan to him where, you know, he'll find like the weakest link in the back seven and just continue to throw at him. And that was Lloyd last year. So it's interesting to see, you know, how they really deploy their attack against them this year. You know, maybe you see more man coverage. You know, maybe you see Tyson Campbell with them now and then. You know, it's something the Jaguars, you know, attempted to deploy in the past. But I, I do think Kelsey is the biggest storyline for the defense. And I think another matchup that I'm going to be really interested in is this uh, revamped Chiefs offensive line against this Jaguars pass rush. Um, you know, Josh Allen, pass rusher who – you know, Chiefs fans really wanted them to trade him last season. And I was like, why would Jacksonville trade him? Like, yeah. <laughs> you're an ascending team. Why would you trade your young pass rusher who seems to be really good? And, you know, he went nuts against the Colts in week one, had three sacks. But then also last season's number one overall pick, Trayvon Walker, picked up a sack. Can you just tell me how those guys uh, are looking this season? And specifically Trayvon Walker, because I think I know what I'm getting in Josh Allen. Like, I know he's yeah. a matchup problem. But how has Trayvon Walker looked and how has he progressed it? going into year number two. Yeah, I mean, together they combined for, you know, eight pressures, four sacks, four tackles for loss. I mean, it was one of their best games as a duo, if not the best game that they've had. You know, Josh Allen, obviously dominant, you know, overall, but especially in the running game. Trayvon had a couple of nice rushes. They, you know, really like to use him stunting inside. Just he can use his natural athleticism and strength rather than trying to win one-on-one on the edge. I think what you saw from him in week one was that he took a step, you know, maybe not the step, you know, he wasn't setting the world on fire or anything. He wasn't even looking, you know, like Aiden Hutchinson was, but it still was, you know, one of the more efficient games of his career as a pass rusher in terms of his pass rush win rate. I think it was the fourth or fifth best game of his career. And I mean, it, it's, it's, it's wild to say, but I mean, him getting a sack, I mean, he just has four and a half now in his career. So anytime he really does at this point, and if he can stack them up, it's encouraging. So it definitely seems like the arrow is trending up, you know, how, how up is a question, but it does seem like he's at least improved from his rookie year. Yeah, it, it's going to be a really fun game on Sunday. I'm also excited for a noon kickoff, personally. Uh, as someone who covers the team, I, I love a, a nice early window kickoff, uh, especially against a good football team like Jacksonville. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm tending to lean into a, a higher scoring affair more so than the Chiefs week one. I, I think that, like, you know, Andy Reid having to put together a game plan on a day and a half notice, basically without Travis Kelsey and their young group of wide receivers. And I think all of that just kind of messed everything up in week one. And yeah. I think that they're going to be they're going to be in a better position in week two. And I think this Jaguars offense is for real. So I, I don't know how you're feeling about the matchup, but I'm expecting a shootout on Sunday in Jacksonville. And I really hope we get kind of what we were hoping to get in week one for the Kansas City Chiefs. 
it's kind of wild this isn't a primetime game, honestly. Like, especially <laughs> with you know, what the primetime games are this week. Like this feels like one of the like more exciting games of really, you know, the early stage of the season. It's the Chiefs' only other noon kickoff is on Christmas Day. Um, so <laughs> it's crazy, That's crazy. that this game, uh, a playoff matchup from last season, is yeah. for whatever reason a noon kickoff in week two. But I'm not complaining. I'm going to enjoy my afternoon once I get done covering this football game. But he's John Chipley. Uh, you can follow all of his fantastic work at si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars. You can also follow him on Twitter at underscore John underscore Shipley. Again, he does spectacular work covering the Jacksonville Jaguars. So if you want to get a peek into what's being said over there, make sure you go check out all of his work. But with all that, um, not, nothing else left to say, John. I really appreciate the time. Uh, looking forward to a good game on Sunday. Hey, thanks for having me on as always, man.